to the Clifford Chance Careers Podcast. In this series, we aim to celebrate and highlight the cultures that make us who we are and exchange the diversity of voices and experiences at Clifford Chance. In this episode, we're focusing on the National Hispanic Heritage Month. Hispanic Heritage Month is celebrated in the United States from September 15 to October 15 and recognizes the contributions and influence of the Hispanic American community on the history and culture of the United States. My name is Edwin Ramirez Holmes, and I'm an associate based in New York, working in both domestic matters as well as the firm's Latin American group. Today I'm here with Jessica Springsteen. Jessica is an associate based in Washington, D.C., and is a member of the America's Energy and Projects Group. She regularly advises commercial banks, multilateral organizations, and expert credit agencies in all aspects related to the development and financing of energy and infrastructure projects worldwide, with a particular emphasis in Latin America. Thank you so much for speaking to us today, Jessica. Thank you so much, Edwin. Thank you so much for having me. I'm definitely looking forward to our chat today. Awesome. Well, let's jump right in. Jessica, can you tell us about Hispanic Heritage Month? Yes, as you mentioned in your intro, um, Hispanic Heritage Month is a period meant for recognition, education, and celebration of Hispanics and Hispanic Americans. It was created to recognize the positive impact that Hispanic Americans have left on our country. The month-long period kicks off, or kicked off because we're already um, after September, on September 15th, and will continue through October 15th. When Lyndon Johnson originally introduced this celebration or observance uh, in 1968, it was actually only a week-long celebration. And in 1989, it was extended uh, to be celebrated for a full month. Um, Lyndon Johnson said it was a way to pay special tribute to the Hispanic traditions and having in mind that our five Central American neighbors celebrate their Independence Day on September 15th and Mexico on September 16th. So that's why this period is from the middle of September to the middle of October, which I think some people um, don't realize. That's interesting. I had no idea, actually. I I always thought it was a an arbitrary kind of kind of dates, but that that definitely makes sense. You know that that it aligns with the independent states of many of these yes. these countries. These countries. Yep. Well, in a sense. You know, what what I'm always curious to find out, you know, especially with with months like like this, particularly Hispanic Heritage Month, is how how are you planning to celebrate this? Um, and in a sense, what what why is Hispanic Heritage Month significant to you? So it's significant to me because I'm actually a first generation American. My parents are from Peru and immigrated in the early 70s and I think had every intention of moving back to Peru. But at that time, a terrorist organization called the Shining Path was in Peru and prevented them from going home at that time. And I, and eventually I think my parents just made the decision to stay in the U.S. So I grew up and I was born in the United States, but very much in a Latin American household uh, while embracing uh, being being American. So for me, Hispanic Heritage Month is in a lot of ways a celebration of, of my, of, you know, the way that I was raised and the way that um, 
I you know, have led my life living in a bicultured and bilingual world. Um, and in terms of celebrating, uh, you know, my kids and I, we love to cook, and we've been cooking a lot more during uh, the COVID phase, which I think lots of other folks have been as well. But they love Latin food, in particular Peruvian food. So we have um, been FaceTiming my mom to have her teach us her secret recipes for ají de gallina and for papala um, huancaína and causa limeña and lomo saltado. And as my sons say, they are always, always in the mood for Peruvian food and Latin food. So, and in addition, you know, we love Latin music. I think one of my first um, uh, crushes when I was a preteen or teenager was with Luis Miguel, who is this um, Mexican slash Puerto Rican singer that, uh, you know, I just absolutely fell in love with at a young age and um, have imparted that love onto my kids. So, you know, we, we spend time singing in Spanish and, and cooking Peruvian food. That's awesome. You know, it's it's funny that you mentioned that because I I also, well, I grew up, you know, listening to a lot of Luis Miguel. And so now that you're mentioning <laughs> that, I'm, I'm thinking, you know, that back when I was a, a kid, you know, my mom would always be, be playing Luis Miguel in the background. But, you know, it also it also sounds delicious, those, those dishes that you mentioned. I, I think for me as well, you know, a, a lot of this month comes down to the food, you know, because there's such a rich culture in terms of the food. So I, uh, absolutely. Yeah, I mean, it's, absolutely. And, and I think on the food, because as you mentioned that, you know, my friends were American and uh, they would come over and for them, and if you ask them today, they were exposed to ceviche, for example, however many years ago. And so when it became kind of popular in the United States for, for them, it was like, this has always been in, in Peruvian cuisine. Uh, it just became more popularized here. Um, but I agree. They, they, I think, Latin Americans and, and um, Hispanics really show their love with preparing food and feeding people's souls. And it's definitely every time I used to, and I think it probably happened to you, I would come home from school and open the door of my house and there would be this delicious smell of whatever my mom was cooking. And it just made you feel so, you know, comforted after a long day at school. Absolutely. Yes, yes. Totally right. Um, well, for this month, you know, you, you, you mentioned the food and you mentioned the, the music that you know, your Hispanic heritage has, has instilled on you. But I want to ask you about any role models that particularly you may be thinking of during this month. Gosh, there are so many because I, you know, I think about it in, in, in a couple of different ways. So in my profession, since I'm a lawyer, I look to Justice Sonia Sotomayor, Supreme Court Justice Sonia Sotomayor. And for me, she represents what an American Latina can accomplish if given the right opportunities and also properly supported by her personal and professional communities. She is someone who has, was born in the United States, but came, you know, her parents were um, from Puerto Rico and She's the first Latina uh, to sit on the Supreme Court. And clearly as a law student for me that you know, and a lawyer, that has been um, inspiring and moving, uh, especially now thinking about it again, given the passing of um, Ruth Bader Ginsburg and what she meant for women and just, just the movement of women being represented 
not just in the legal profession, but just in our country. And it's just one of those people that sticks out to me as, as I think, helping others see themselves and to, you know, continue to, to follow their dreams and to not feel that because, you know, that their parents weren't able to achieve it or for whatever circumstance that there are, there are people like um, Justice Vanessa Tamir who have been able to accomplish their, their goals and to not give up. I think that's very, very important, particularly for, for this month, having these role models that, like Justice Sonia Sotomayor, that basically, you know, came from immigrant an immigrant family and has has studied and you know has has gone all the way to the Supreme Court and now serves a role model to to many people in 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 this country. So I I think that's very very important to always make aware. Now, in terms of your career, you 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 mentioned uh, Justice Sotomayor as being influential during during your legal career, in what other ways do you think that your Hispanic heritage has informed your career? So I think it's informed it because, as I mentioned, I w- grew up in in two worlds essentially, um, living in the United States but with two Peruvian parents. And I think what I was always searching was a while you know I, I loved it and I and I had wonderful experiences. It was also a place that not many people were in because even so growing up in the United States, I spoke Spanish and oftentimes I was the only person that was born in the States that spoke Spanish. And so they thought I was different. And in terms of belonging, it was a little bit tricky. And same when I would go back to Peru, I'd see my cousins, they would be so happy to see me, but they would always say, tú eres la americana. And I thought I am, but I'm also Peruvian. Um, so I think, that was just the normal state of affairs for somebody who's born in this country but has parents from another country. And so I always thought a career in an international space where it just felt more natural for me. So my first professional job was at International Finance Corporation right out of college in the legal department. Um, and it felt like I sh- it felt perfect for me because there were people from all over the world who were living in the United States that speaking different languages and working there, uh, I realized I still wanted to go to graduate school and I got a, a, a master's in international affairs and then eventually went to law school while I worked there during the day. And after law school, again, I um, worked, went to work at the Inter-American Development Bank, which is a, a multilateral institution that primarily, that is in Latin America and the Caribbean and primarily focuses on, on investing and lending in Latin America, and clearly that was something that spoke to me because it was, um, you know, we all spoke Spanish and it was uh, primarily Latin Americans and, um, you know, that were working in an American development bank. So I think my career choices, by definition, were um, impacted because of my Hispanic heritage. And also, I think a key differentiator, and I think you'll probably agree, in terms of being a lawyer, the fact that I speak Spanish has... Um, been a huge uh, skill set and tool for me because I'm able to have cultural fluency with my clients who are primarily Latin Americans, and I think um, some others aren't able to have. Absolutely. I, I agree with that as well. I, I think cultural fluency is such an important factor in the work that we do. 
because sometimes you might be reviewing agreements or negotiating contracts and you're you're in the in the weeds of a the legality of, of these contracts but i i'm a firm believer that when it comes to being a well-rounded attorney you also need to look at at the personal relationships and and the clients and the the cultural nuances that surround a certain agreement so absolutely i mean i at least from my experience i've noticed the same thing when it comes to language that being able to speak spanish and being able to communicate with with clients and other parties in deals it's it's so important no question absolutely i think and i think they notice they notice that if you're it's like you said it's the language but it's also understanding their culture and just the way like you said that you negotiate it's not as cut and dry it takes it, it's just a different way of doing it which i think they appreciate and you know i think that's at least our firm because we we definitely pride ourselves on cultural fluency apart from from others absolutely and you mentioned that during your career uh even before law school you you worked for several uh development agencies now in terms of the work that that you've been doing it seems that a lot of the work that you've been doing has been here in the United States, but can you tell us a little bit about how some of your work directly impacts the Hispanic American and Hispanic communities in Latin America? So while I am based in the United States and I am licensed to practice New York law, my all of my work is actually in uh, primarily Latin America. So I represent lenders, sponsors, commercial banks, investment banks in transactions related to energy and infrastructure in Latin America. Uh, so I've actually only done one or two deals in the United States. Um, and so I think the work that we're doing by representing our clients in Latin America has a direct impact because there is a huge energy and infrastructure gap in Latin America. They are, they are woefully behind uh, as compared to other parts of the world in, in developing their energy and infrastructure. So, you know, energy is, is key and essential for growth. And um, many, many South American countries have, um, you know, very limited energy um, projects or energy plants or power plants. And so the key is for our clients to find ways to continue to support Latin American uh, companies and the public sector and ways to develop um, energy and infrastructure projects. So, for example, Colombia decided many years ago to um, invest in their infrastructure program and partnered with the private sector. um, And one of those projects related to toll roads, and roads are so critical because for people who have businesses, not just, you know, giant corporations, but smaller smaller family-owned businesses or just smaller or medium-sized enterprises, Without roads, they can't get their products to where they need to be, and they can't generate money, and it, and it has a trickle-down effect. So, um, I and and then frankly, lots of Hispanic Americans have family in in Latin America, so it it does directly impact both Latin America and Hispanic Americans. And I feel like the work that we're doing, at least our lend, our clients, our lender clients, our investment bank clients, and also developers. Um, is key, and it's been, I think, one of my greatest joys is to help and work on these projects. That sounds excellent. If if you can um, 
point to one deal or maybe one one transaction that you particularly remember? Uh, what what would that be? Gosh, there have been so many. I you know I wouldn't want to single out just one, but like I mentioned, I think working on the Colombian 4G toll road uh, was instrumental in the sense that it really gave me an insight on how important, or just any any type of infrastructure, you know, roads, ports, and now mobility. You realize that having proper infrastructure really is the key to being able to promote growth within communities and just making sure people have access to hospitals and schools. And um, you you've read the stories before how it takes certain people hours and hours to get to school. So for me, that's just, it just inspires you and continues on those long, hard nights when you're working or drafting or trying to close the deal that this is for, for the, for the greater good and that people will be directly impacted and that their lives will hopefully be a little bit better because there are, there is energy or there are hospitals that have energy. And, um, you know, I think any deal that has supported, for example, um, women owned businesses, that has also been pretty remarkable. I've worked on deals where um, microfinance projects or, or, or banks were financed to help support women-owned businesses, which were apparently way more successful than um, their male counterparts. And so banks were more inclined to give loans to women who were running small businesses because they rarely defaulted on their loans. So, that's been very insightful and obviously, again, a great opportunity to, to work on these projects because you feel like you are making a difference and that, that your clients um, and, their, and their funds, for example, if, if it's a bank, are going to go to um, people who really need them and, and are really going to make a difference for themselves and their families and communities. Yeah, I, I like that. I, I, I think that sometimes you forget about you know the the actual end result of of what you're working on and i like that that you mentioned that at the end of the day a lot of the work that we do particularly that you're mentioning in energy projects or infrastructure projects they do have a direct benefit to to people and you know at the end yeah. of the day a lot of people in these communities in latin america do benefit from a lot of these projects that that you know you you might be working while in in the United States. So I yeah I mean I I agree it's it's very valuable work at the end of the day. Now I know that you also help out in the firm in in other aspects. Uh, can you maybe tell us a little bit on what those other ways that the firm supports the Hispanic American community? Absolutely. I think one of the one of the ways that our firm does that is by um, having a robust pro bono platform, and it allows attorneys to take on pro bono uh, projects where we can use our skill sets, whatever that may be, our language skills, our drafting skills, or litigating skills, or negotiation skills. Um, one of the organizations our firm supports is Immigration Equality which is a leading LGBTQ and HIV-positive immigrant rights organization. I am currently representing, representing along with um, some of my litigation colleagues, a transgender Mexican woman who is seeking asylum um, as a result of having been mistreated in Mexico. And I've been working on that deal, I believe, since 
late 2016 or early 2017 in in the sense that, and the reason I got brought into it uh, was because I spoke Spanish and she speaks only Spanish. Her English has improved these last three and a half years, but um, we have filed her application. We were granted an interview with the asylum officer and we we now have to go to, to the actual uh, judge to, to have them adjudicate whether or not she's going to be allowed to stay and, and be granted asylum. But that has been an incredible opportunity for me and for our firm because it's it's supporting someone who she's a remarkable human being. And I think, I hope others in the firm can see that while I have, you know, I don't do litigation and um, it's not something that I, I have ever really done, I was able to participate and am because of my Spanish skills, which I think is critical because there are so many people that, you know, in our in our communities that need help and shy away because they can't communicate or they don't feel connected. So um, our client, she and I have a, you know, WhatsApp, uh, we chat via WhatsApp and we've been in touch with her all through this COVID phase because her um, trial has been postponed given um COVID-19, but, um, you know, we've, we've helped her file for unemployment and have stayed in touch with her, but our firm has done such a, an incredible job of, of creating this platform for attorneys that want to, and, and, we're, and we need to support pro bono, that there is something there for everyone. And uh, one of, you know, and I would say to our Hispanic colleagues, one of the, the best gifts that you can give somebody is your time and your, and your language skills. That's wonderful. So. In terms of the pro bono work that you do, you don't necessarily need to be a litigation associate. You can be a transactional associate or anyone that's not, you know, really familiar to the processes of, of immigration, right? Absolutely. Absolutely. No, I, I rely completely on uh, my litigation colleagues for that. I mean, I've, I've obviously, because I, my, my direct role is to, when we're preparing her application and corresponding affidavits is to go through it with her in Spanish and then read it when it's been translated into English to make sure that it, it actually is what she said. And so I don't, you know, and like I said, we work with immigra- immigration equality, which is, is, is actually the, the organization that is helping us um, strategize and find ways to make her case more compelling and to to find everything we can do to help her her case be accepted and 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 have a positive outcome. So you do not need to be a litigation associate at all. You can you can come from any practice area. And like I said, it's just I think trying to line up your skill sets. And if one of them is speaking Spanish and you feel like you don't want to go to court and stand in court, this is a, a good way to to um, engaging because I I just had to interact with her and my litigation clients, and I haven't had to um, actually attend court yet. <laughs> Great. Well, that, that sounds like a wonderful experience. And well, Jessica, thanks so much for joining us and opening up about your experiences today. Thank you so much, Edwin. I've had such a great time. You've been listening to the Celebrating Culture series of the Clifford Chance Careers podcast. Don't forget to subscribe to our channel to stay up to date on future episodes coming soon. And to find out more, please visit our website at www.cliffordchance.com.